Open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. Now, if you're, if you're just learning your way around the Bible, this is going to maybe a little confusing to you, but I'll, I'll tell you where you find 1 John. Again, there's an Old Testament that starts with Genesis and a New Testament starts with Matthew. Now, there's 1 John, but 1 John is not the first John in the Bible. 1 John, you come across the Bible in the New Testament. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. But if you'll keep going towards the end, there's a letter, and it's literally called 1 John. It'll have like a Roman numeral I and a John in front of it or something like that. You're like, well, how do I get there? Well, the easiest way is go to the end, Revelation, and the book before that is Jude. Before that is 3 John. Before that is 2 John and 1 John. This was actually a letter that John, one of the disciples of Jesus, wrote to the church, to Christians and to believers. So again, while you're turning there, you know, Matthew's kind of been our foundational scripture whenever Jesus asked him, he said, who do people say that I am? And I've said this every week, you know, that, that again, kind of in our culture, overwhelmingly, people for the most part still like Jesus. They just, you know, a lot of times they say, we like Jesus, but we just don't like the people that follow Jesus. And so we're, we're trying to do something about that at Cedar Point by being good to our community and that kind of thing. But on the other side of that is that when people say they don't like Jesus, or that they do like Jesus, sometimes the challenge is, is that it, the Jesus that they like is one that they've made up in their own mind. Well, you know, Jesus wouldn't do that, or Jesus wouldn't say that, or, or Jesus wouldn't think that. Well, sometimes they say those things, and actually, he may think that. And so, he asked these guys, he said, who do people say that I am? And we could say that, well, you know, and again, you know, some people, their description of it may not be accurate. And then, then he asked Peter, you know, the, he asked him the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's like the most important answer is not what other people say about him or who he is, but what do you say about him and who he is? And so Jesus said, you know, that my father revealed this to you. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, this community of believers, this foundation of Jesus followers, the recognition of who he is. So we wanted to talk about who he says that he is, who scripture says that he is, because it reveals to me what it is that I need from him, who I am to him and what I need for him. So, so the first week we talked about the fact that he's our savior, the scripture calls him this. He, re, he, he reveals that that's who he is, that he's our savior. And so if he's savior, it reveals to me that I'm in need of saving. Again, that he came to save me, to save you, to save us from our sins and from our brokenness. And I, you know, it just it reveals to me that, you know what, without him, I'm lost. I'm broken. You know, that, I, you know, again, I said this the last few weeks that I'm not a, you know, a mistake or in need of correcting. I'm a sinner in need of saving. And then last week we talked about how he refers to himself as our shepherd, somebody that guides us and cares for us, speaks to us, provides for us. You know, in other words, that, that I'm, not, I'm not good on my own. I was never intended to just take this journey on my own, but to be part of a, a flock of Christians, you know, just this with, this, with the good shepherd leading us and guiding us. Well, today we're gonna look at what the scripture refers to him as, as an advocate. And so in 1 John chapter one, verse five, again, this is the apostle John writing this. He said, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. God's light, in him is no darkness. You know, to have fellowship with God, we, we don't continue to just live in darkness. That it, it's, it, just, it just doesn't work, it's not, you know, it's not true. So he said, 
But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. Everybody say faithful. faithful. And just. Everybody say just. just. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Let's stop there for just a minute. So again, he's writing this to believers. And when you become a Christian, you receive Jesus uh, in your life as your savior, you surrender to his lordship, then you, know, you receive what he's done, that you know, he's taken all of our sin upon him so that, so that we're, you know, we receive that forgiveness and now we walk in complete forgiveness. But I'll tell you this much, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and let me just tell you this, since I've become a Christian, I've sinned, like a few times, today, just now. So what do I do? What do I do with that? Well, he said right here that when we, when we do sin, that, that we confess our sins to him. We go, you know, we confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just. So, so for me, it sounds like this, Father, you know, I, I come to you in the name of Jesus and, you know, and I ask you to forgive me. I'm I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm sorry that I acted that way. I'm sorry that I thought that. I'm sorry I behaved that way or treated that person that way or, you know, did this secretly, whatever that is. And it says this about God, first of all, that he's faithful. I can count on him to forgive me. But also that he's just. In other words, that it, would be, it would be unjust for him not to forgive me. Well, why is it? Because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus carried the judgment for my sin upon him and the judgment for your sin upon him. So we receive that forgiveness and not only does he forgive us, King James puts it this way, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's kind of wild, I've just, uh, just recently uh, got a pickup and I've, you know, it's just, I really like it. I've, you know, it's just kind of cool and, and uh, I've never been, I mean, you know, I like cars but I've never been kind of a car guy, you know, it's like I wash my car once a year, you know, change the oil every 50,000 miles like you're supposed to, that kind of thing. And so, um, but I don't know, man, my, my daughter the other day, she's like, dad, you're like really taking care of this vehicle. You, I said, I just really like it. And so it's kind of a darker color. And if you, um, if you, you know, like we've had just kind of crazy weather recently, you know, so, you know, about a few weeks ago, we got sleet. When you get sleet and snow, then there's all sorts of grime and stuff like that. And, you know, salt and chemicals and, and, uh, you know, right after that happens, if you look at my truck, it, it just looks kind of wonky because it's got all this stuff on it. And uh, by the way, I, I have a truck, so, but don't ask me to help you move. So, but anyway, second of all, is that, um, but, you know, it's just, there's an indication of where it's been, of the things that have happened to it. You know, it's like, it looks messy. It looks grimy. It's, it's been through some things. But I take it, you know, I take it to the car wash and, and clean it. And when I, when I pull it out, it's clean and it doesn't, there's no indication of where it's been. And when we confess our sins to Jesus, he, or to the Father, because of Jesus, he not only forgives us, but he cleanses us. And when he looks at us, there's, there's no evidence of where we've been. We're clean. We're clean because of what Jesus has done. And I'm just so grateful to him. So he says, he goes on, you know, this wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was done later on to make it convenient for us. So he continues in this letter in chapter two, verse one. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. 
In other words, he's not telling us how to be forgiven so we can keep on sinning. He wants us to be forgiven so we experience that cleansing and, and we continue to walk in fellowship with him, but his desire is for us not to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Everybody say advocate. Who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So John, this guy that he, for three years he traveled with Jesus, said, look, I'm not telling you this so that you'll continue sinning. But I'm telling you so that when you do sin, that you have an advocate with the Father. Now, you know, a lot of people don't know what that means, you know, or even the context that's meant here, you know, the word advocate is one called to the side of another for help or counsel. But even here, it says this about him, that, that he himself is a sacrifice. He said, he's a, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. So, so understand this, that in our life that we have, that there's an enemy, that the devil who's called the accuser, he's called the accuser, is constantly making accusations against you and against me. And so, I, I don't know what that looks like, you know. I, I mean, I know, I know one area he does it, and he, he does it to me about me. Well, who do you think you are? You've done this, you've done that. You, you have no right pastoring. You have no right telling people, you know, what the word says and ways to, you know, to walk in his word. You're not, you're not even doing it. And sometimes I was talking, a friend of mine, um, Pastor Steve Smother, and he and I were talking this morning, and, and he said that, <laughs> he said he was doing a series on, go, on, not on gossip, but he said this morning he was talking about having a critical spirit, and he said, I'm really convicted. And I said, yeah, I've had the same thing happen. I'm getting up there, and I don't know if anybody else is convicted by what I'm saying, but I'm getting convicted. I feel like they're kind of stopping the message and going, you guys go home, I'm going to spend a couple hours just asking God to forgive me, you know what I mean? So, so you have those moments, but man, there's this accuser that, that, that comes in my thoughts and makes accusations against me. And the wild thing about it is, is that usually the things that he said I did, I did. And he doesn't just use me, sometimes he uses people. Well, I know what he did. So I shared with you that years ago, a friend of mine was looking for a church. They decided they'd try at the church that we were on staff at. And this one guy goes, you're going there? Yeah. And we was, youth, we were, we was, we were youth ministers at the time. And um, he said, I saw him and his wife in Walmart and they were having an argument. And my response was, just one? I mean, I, you know, I go into Walmart, I feel like Superman when I go in there and I feel like Clark Kent when I leave. I mean, it's just, it's my kryptonite. I don't know what it is, but, but again, you know, people make accusations against us. And they don't realize that they're being used by the enemy. You know what, and I probably have been that guy before too and I don't wanna be. But we have an advocate with the Father who represents us. I, I could represent myself based upon my good deeds, but I'm such a mess and so imperfect that that defense never holds. I could talk about my good intentions all day long, but my intentions aren't always good. I could talk about being justified, how they did this to me so they had it coming to them. But I got a lot of stuff coming to me. But any time that I turn to my advocate, the one that represents me, that pleads my case in heaven's court against my accuser, that he turns to the Father and he says that the judgment for this behavior 
has already been meted out on his behalf and it was poured upon me. There's no more judgment in his life because he's received me. I have an advocate, an attorney, someone that represents me that's never lost a case. He's never lost a case. I, I could do it on my own accord, but, but I just don't have a leg to stand on. But he's my advocate. He represents me that even now that Jesus came to die for me, but he didn't just stop there because he knew that as I'm growing, that there's still on the way, there's things I trip up on, things I do. And so he, he represents me when the accuser comes against me, either in the courts of heaven, in the courts of my own thoughts, or in the courts of public opinion by well-meaning critics that Jesus is my advocate. He's your advocate he doesn't want us to sin, but when we do, he represents us. He pleads our case. So number one is this, if you're taking notes, is that, is that um, Jesus is my advocate. Look at number two. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 1. This is a story that many of you are familiar with. And even if you're not familiar with the story, there's probably a line in here that you've heard before. And some of you may not even be aware that it came from Scripture, that it was something Jesus said. But in John chapter 8, verse 1, John chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. How horrible is this? Jesus is teaching, and these religious leaders bring this woman in, parading her in shamelessly, and throw her down in front of the crowd and begin to make accusations against her. Who do they think they are? And they bring her in. Besides this, just the woman is with them. You know, well, let me continue reading. It says, they, they put her in front of the crowd and teach her, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. And you know what the law of Moses said? It did say to stone her. But you know what else the law of Moses said? It also said the man should be stoned too. I wonder where he was. My friend Marvin gave me these passages, Leviticus 20.10, Leviticus 22.22. Funny, he wasn't there. So, so they weren't wrong in what the law said. The law of Moses said to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I, I wonder what he wrote. I, I mean, that's just one of the things when I get to heaven, I want to ask him, like, Jesus, what did you write? I, you know, I don't know if he was just kind of doodling, you know, just kind of letting the moment kind of build before he like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. It's like, I, you know, <laughs> with his own thing. Or, you know, was he like writing down like different commandments? Like, you know, put no other gods before me. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Or what if we put their names in front of it? Hey, John, how about that commandment of don't covet? Hey, Bob, how about that, how about that commandment about not taking my name in vain? I mean, we, we don't know, but he, he, just, he sits there and he just kind of kneeling and while he's writing in the dust, 
He, he says, they, they just keep, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the law says that. Let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. He didn't write for response. He stood back down and started writing in the dirt again. When the accusers heard this, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is, this is such a picture of what his advocacy in our life looks like. I mean, it wasn't like in his behavior or whatever, but just in how he handled it. He fiercely advocated on her behalf. He fiercely stood between her and her accusers and condemners. It reminds me of what Romans 8, 31 says is, what should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. So Jesus got between her and her accusers with the words that he said. And they got up and left one by one. Because as our advocate, Jesus wants me to be forgiven. He wants me to live with forgiveness. Not to carry the weight of my broken past, not to carry the weight of that moment where I still have to grow, where sometimes I unsurrender myself. Not to carry the weight of that, but I can live forgiven, free from it. One of the things that holds people back is they still carry the weight of their past with them. And I'm not just talking about their 20 year ago past, I'm talking about their yesterday past. They still carry that with them. But you have an advocate that pleads your case against any accuser that would show up and try to disqualify you. He's Jesus. But the problem is that when we read this, we stop here a lot of times. Almost as if his declaration was approval or affirmation for, their for her behavior. And that's not the case. There's more to the story than let the one that's without sin cast the first stone. He ended it with something that was very powerful, and that is go and sin no more. In other words, man, you're forgiven. Don't do this again. And again, he didn't come at it from a condemning standpoint. He came at it from a convicting standpoint because he knows how much these things in my life entangle me, hold me back, break me, destroy my relationships, ruin my dreams. And so, as my advocate, Jesus wants me to be forgiven and free. To not continue to live in that anymore. Yeah, go ahead and clap, man. It's exactly right. Years ago, as a kid growing up, we, uh, we had, we had a, a gold Palomino, 
She's gold palomino, so of course we named her Silver. But you know, the thing is that we would go feed her, you know, like you know, regularly. There was a field a little ways behind our house. We'd drive to it, and my dad's pick up, and, and we'd go back there. And, and so there was this barbed wire fence that I'd have to climb over. And one night, man, it was cold, and you know, just kind of missing and stuff. And, and so I, I got out, and I was like, I don't know, 14 years old or something. And, and I got to climb over that fence. As I climbed over it, my hand slipped, and that barbed wire went up and it went right into my knee. And it was one of those, you know, it, was, it, it hurt. Well, I was sitting there, and I wasn't like running towards the horse, dragging the fence behind me. I was stuck. And eventually, I, I like yanked it out, and you know, and my, my dad, compassion was not one of his strengths, and so I still, you know, I finished climbing over the fence, went over and you know, fed the horse. But the thought never crossed my mind, hey, I, you know, when I come back here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop at that fence and jab that thing back in my leg. It would've been so silly. When it, when it was jabbed in my leg, I, I never thought for a minute, I'm just gonna stay like this. I've, I've never experienced life attached to a barbed wire fence. No, no, I mean, I took it out of my leg because I knew that it, you know, that it would limit what I was supposed to do. And so many times, you know, that, you know, one of the struggles a lot of people have is they deal with so much guilt and so much shame that it's hard for them to ever turn towards the mercy of God and his goodness and his forgiveness and experience it. But then sometimes when we finally get introduced to it, it's almost like we take it for granted and, and we think that it was just given to us so that I can just do whatever I want to do. And, and yet that, that still, you know, that wasn't the reason why it was given to us, you know, that, that we just have to look at the cross to be reminded of how horrible sin is. You know what, I only have to just look at the cross. I can look at things in my life, times in my marriage where my anger and my selfishness broke my wife's heart. I could look at my own disappointments in the past where I did or said things to people and as a minister, their hearts were wounded with church hurt because me and my insecurities or me and my anger would say something that, you know, that I had to go back to. So, so he's not in, he forgave me and he didn't fire me, but he wasn't indifferent to it either because he knew it would cost me and cost the people around me. He didn't say to that lady, I don't condemn you. Keep on committing adultery. Where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? I don't condemn you either. Can you imagine just the trauma she just experienced by these so-called religious people pulling her in front of everybody? And in this one moment, this one expression of mercy, she didn't leave there angry at God thinking that they represented him. But because of Jesus' encounter, his expression of mercy, he said, you're forgiven. Just stop doing this. He's our advocate. He wants us to be forgiven and free. Let's look at this last one here. Go with me, if you would, to Luke 22. You're in, you're in John. Luke is a book right before John. Luke 22, uh, again, Luke was a, he was a physician that lived back at that time and he wrote this account of Jesus. And so in Luke 22, verse 31, this is what took place just before Jesus was taken to the cross. Jesus was talking to Peter and some, you know, Peter would go by Simon or he would go by Peter. So he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. So in other words, the enemy wanted to sift them. He wanted to put them through the ringer. 
He wants to do the same thing to you and I. And yet here's Jesus. He said, even though he's wanted to do that, I've prayed for you. I've interceded on your behalf. I've been your advocate. He goes on to say to them that your faith would not fail. Your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, everybody say repented, and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now Peter's response was, hey, I'm never gonna leave you. I don't care if everybody else denies you and runs away, I'll be right here. And Jesus goes, hey, look, man, before the rooster crows three times, you're gonna deny me. And he did. But Jesus had prayed for him. He prayed that when he recovered from that, that he would strengthen his brothers. One of the reasons why Jesus is our advocate, because he doesn't just see us in our failure. That he knows when the mercy of God is given and we respond to it in such a way that we're just so grateful that I don't want to do this again. I said this about my mom before, that she always just demonstrated such mercy that it didn't cause me to want to leave her presence to see if I could mess up better next time. But it caused me to leave her presence and think, I don't want to disappoint her. And that's the way the mercy of God is, is that we experience his mercy and as a result of that, when we receive it, that we get up and we repent of and we turn towards him and on the other side of it, that our calling is completed, it's, it continues. The devil wants to tell us when we're tangled up in our sin or our brokenness or our disobedience that that's it, God's through with you. You did this, you did that. Remember when that took place? Because remember, he's the accuser. And again, sometimes he brings those thoughts up. Sometimes he uses people in your family. They're his advocate. People on Facebook, they're his advocate. But if you've received Jesus, he's yours. And he forgives you so you can walk free because on the other side of your forgiveness and your freedom is the call of God and his plan for your life. And I'm not just talking about church and ministry. I'm talking about in your marriage. I'm talking about in your home. I'm talking about at your, at your job, in your community, the things that he's called and positioned you to do. That your failures do not limit what God has called you to do. If you'll walk in the forgiveness of God and let Jesus be your advocate, not only is he just forgives you and holds you up from where you are, but he takes you beyond that to the next thing that he has for you. That's why we look at Peter in less than two months after he denied Jesus in front of a teenage girl for crying out loud. Don't you, don't you know him? No, and he begins to cuss. Blankety blank, I've told you I don't know him. I don't know any Hebrew curse words. Sadly, I know plenty of English ones. But anyway, but less than two months later, he's in front of thousands of people in the same city, in the same city, boldly declaring who Jesus is. People were convicted. Thousands gave their heart to sit on that day. 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church. From this guy that just less than two months earlier, had we seen him, we would have thought, that guy will never amount to anything. That the accuser would have shown up and said, Jesus is finished with you. You had your chance. You had your opportunity. You broke your promise to him. You denied him. He's through with you. And yet less than two months later, he received the mercy of God and he walked away from that brokenness, from that decision, that insecurity, and stood in front of thousands of people having experienced the goodness of God and declared boldly to them that Jesus is the hope of their life. So for each of us, he's our advocate that anytime an accusation is brought against me or you, 
He fiercely defends you. He fiercely gets in the way of that accusation. And we receive his forgiveness so that we can get up and not continue to be tangled up by it, but to repent and turn from it. Because he didn't tell us those things so we could continue to sin. He told us those things so we could receive forgiveness and leave free from it. Number three is this, is that Jesus has more on the other side of repentance. It's not through with you, it's where he takes you after you do that to the next thing. I want you to do this, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Man, let's just, let's just spend a moment with God. You just, you know, maybe you came in here and just, you're just struggling with just some things. Maybe some failures, maybe, maybe you brought in some guilt with you or condemnation or shame. You have an advocate that's pleading your case. Don't go against that accusation based upon your own behavior. We all know we're not perfect. Don't go in that accusation based upon good intentions. You st- we still did it. I remember in one situation, I, I got bitter, and so I used my bitterness, the hurt that I experienced as justification to do things that I knew clearly were wrong. Don't use your justified pain to defend what you clearly shouldn't have done, what we clearly shouldn't have done. Let Jesus be your advocate, the one that pleads your case that represents you that lovingly defends you, fiercely defends you so you can go and sin no more. Let's just spend a moment with God.